Welcome to the Go Additive Podcast, Episode 2. My name is Tyler Reed. My name is Tate Brown. And in today's podcast, we are going to be tackling how to choose a 3D printing technology or printer, but primarily technology. What sort of questions we should be asking? What questions need to be answered in choosing a technology? How was your holiday? <laughs> it was... It was different, you know, with COVID yeah, and everything. For sure. um, just tried to be careful. I actually had a family function um, that I I made. So they had a limited amount of spaces to fill because of COVID. And um, I made the cut. And then they found out that someone I had been in contact with was loosely, potentially... Not really, but potentially exposed. Yeah. And I lost my roster spot. So they kicked me out of this family function <laughs> and I had to watch it from Zoom. So uh, it was fun, though. It was fun. I had a similar experience. I was planning on meeting with my family, just a few of us. And the day before, I got an email saying, hey, you may have been exposed because I may have been exposed. So I also stayed home and oh, met through Zoom, my family. Such a bummer. It was a bummer. But it's nice that we at least have Zoom. Yeah. Because otherwise I wouldn't have been able to, to attend. And this particular family function, it's an important thing. And to be able to witness it and just be a part of it wouldn't have been possible just, you know, a decade ago or a few right. years ago. So, right. yeah, it was good. I'm grateful. I am grateful that we have technology and stuff to kind of help us through this pandemic. Uh, it's taken some adjustments. It is nice that we, at least now we can know, at least we have the testing available and we can be cautious. So, overall, good holiday. Not so bad. Good food. And I don't feel so bad for not 3D printing my wishbones. <laughs> I, I would have had to uh, just challenge my wife with those over and over. <laughs> it would have been all right. I, I still think we should do that, but it was a nice idea. Maybe next year. Yeah. I've done it in the past. But not with Bone Matrix. Oh, not with Bone Matrix. That would have been cool. Well, we'll think? figure out a way. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I've got a question for you. I've been waiting all day. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so in the past, I have... Mm, I've labeled someone my nemesis. <laughs> okay. okay. And it's a strategic thing, and normally it was, it was organic, just someone that I would view as an adversary, someone that I want to compete against, they don't necessarily know that I'm competing against them. Oh, yeah. But by viewing them as a nemesis, it would propel me or motivate me to outdo what they were doing. And it's actually a compliment because whoever I picked, they were doing something that I wanted to be doing. Have you ever done something like that? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So this will come as news to everyone because... Uh, this is our second podcast, but I fish 
competitively. And as silly as that sounds probably to a lot of people, um, I have done this. I've picked a guy that I didn't even know. I just, Mm -hmm. and it's funny the way you put that, like they, they have attributes or something's happening to them that you wish was happening to you. Right. I saw this guy, um, someone made a joke like, oh, you know, he's going to need a, a 1099 this year for all the money that he's won. Well, I had won two tournaments prior to hearing that comment, and I was not a part of this conversation. I was just a passerby, like I was I was probably rigging up something next to my truck or, or whatever. But that guy, in that moment, I was so mad. It's like, what about me? What about me? Yeah. And I I just, like, I totally picked this guy to be my nemesis, and yeah. I used him through the whole season. Yeah. And he was good. He was good. He He competed... Um, and, and I think the top five in almost all these tournaments and it absolutely propels you to do better and it just puts a nice little target on someone's back and there's no point in if, if they're not competing at a high level, right. um, whether it's fishing or something else, but like you want to pick a, a high target and that's the whole point of it. Oh yeah. Right. It's a mind trick. It's so fun. It's the best. I've, I've used that over the years and I would, I would say it jokingly, but that word nemesis. Yeah. It's more fun when you <laughs> use that word. It makes it sound so serious, but, uh, it makes it sound like a Seinfeld episode. Uh, yeah, that's true. My nemesis. <laughs> Have you ever let someone know? Like maybe after the fact or while you're in it, your like, nemesis you're my nemesis. You no. I have. I wouldn't. I I'm have. too prideful. <laughs> I'm too prideful to give them that satisfaction. Yeah. I would re- I would die. I would die before I told someone. <laughs> this particular someone like I'm thinking this exact instance. Uh no. I wouldn't give them that satisfaction. You have. I have. Yeah. And how did it feel? It felt good because I was trying to eke out a little bit more out of them. Because if you're competing against somebody and they don't know it, then you're competing at a certain level. But if they become aware of it, you're competing at a whole other level. So in the past, I would pick someone who is performing way outside what I was performing at the time. And then perhaps over a course of weeks into months, I might catch up to them. At that point, I might let them know. Because then it's game on, right? And it's almost like, okay, this is our final match, (laughs) right? We've reached the final match stage. And if you, quote, defeat them, whatever, if you outperform them, then you can can go on to the next one. But if they never know, then the the loop is never closed. Hmm. Yeah, I suppose. I, I, if you're talking in terms of like graduating to the next, yeah. And higher level. Yeah. Uh, it's like the boss fight. Yeah. I don't know. I This year, I finished um, one place above this guy in the points, the season-long points system. I didn't win, and that was the worst part, uh, but I beat my nemesis, and that was almost enough to like yeah. give me satisfaction for the season. But, you know, maybe next season you recalibrate and choose a new nemesis. Yeah. But I'm still not telling him. You have to scout out a nemesis too. You usually it doesn't just happen. Like 
you might become aware of somebody. Oh, and sure. then you have to like think, ooh, is this someone I really want to model? Because you do end up modeling them. I would say, for me, I end up modeling them. You don't? You don't think so? Uh, it depends. I mean, I'm trying to think of another situation yeah. where I choose Nemesis. Nemesis is it's an adversarial component too because there's like there's role models right and a role model you don't there's no tension there a role model i guess would be more like someone that you look up to yeah you want to model a nemesis is similar to a role model that you just don't like maybe or you're jealous or there's like some negative yeah feeling emotion a hundred percent because <laughs> I could pick things out. Yeah. If this guy was a role model, I'd just be looking up to him being like, man, I, I'd like to be better than this guy. But instead it's like, oh, dude, that guy doesn't deserve to beat me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's the way, that's the way you think of it. And they have some, their skill level puts them at a certain point, whether, you know, if you're talking YouTubers or whatever, like if they're getting more views than you or, or whatever realm you're competing in. they have to have some negative quality that you latch onto as your reason for being like the white knight. Right. You know, maybe you just don't like the way they're doing it. Yeah. Or you don't think that they're deserving. Yes. Or just, you don't like their haircut. Yeah. 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 It can be super petty. Right. And it's in, it's good natured. I think in most cases. Yeah. And I think that's why I would never tell someone yeah. they're my nemesis because, uh, I don't know. The it, one, it is good natured. It is good natured. I the would one, never go to this guy and be like, you know what? You're a real jerk. <laughs> I don't like you. I don't like yeah. the way you do things. Yeah. Because that's not totally true. It was the one time I told this person, it was after a while and it was good nature, but it was almost like a power play, you know? <laughs> I was like, like trying to get in her head, I think. Okay, so had, at this point, had you graduated? Like, had you, when you finally no, told they, her, the game were you was still like, on. The game oh, was okay. still on. Yeah. Was it at a tipping point? What was the reason why you felt like you had to tell her? I think because I was losing, to be honest. Okay. <laughs> I think I Extra, was losing. You were trying to motivate yourself. I was trying to bring her down. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to bring her down. And I don't know. I don't know if it actually worked. We ended up becoming friends, which is probably the outcome in a lot of cases. It's a nice silver lining. Yeah. So I'm I think I'm thinking of um labeling somebody a nemesis shortly. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. Which is why I've been thinking about this. Okay, are you allowed to say who it is? I'm not gonna say who it is. Okay. But you might be able to guess within this company. No, it's not within the outside company. of here. Outside of the outside of here. Yep, yep, yep. Oh, yeah. I think I can guess. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what got me thinking about thinking about this topic. We'll have to revisit this six months from now. See if we crushed my nemesis. Yeah, <laughs> perhaps our common. perhaps our common nemesis. Yeah, we'll see. Um, one of the themes of there's a certain YouTube channel that I watch that does a lot of like pro versus beginner type stuff. Have you ever oh, seen this? Totally. I this watched theme? one 
last weekend I watched a regular Joe drives Formula One car. Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah. And it, he just it, it did really good job of talking about, hey, like I'm totally an amateur. I've been obsessed with Formula One my whole life, blah, blah, blah. But this took actual work. Mm-hmm. I'm not the driver I thought I was. I knew that going into this. You know, he would, came at it from a did really they... mature approach. He wasn't like, oh, I'm going to win. Yeah. Or I'm going to be as good as a Formula One driver. He didn't come Humble. in with that approach. Um, and it was true. He went in there and drove. He could drive the car. But he was not near on the level of what a pro would do. Now, did they take a pro driver, put him in a regular car, and have them compete? So that they were both competing in a regular car yeah, or that he was in a Formula One and the reg- the good driver was in a lesser car. Yeah, but that's that's the concept I'm, th- concept I'm thinking of. You okay. take, say, a pro driver in a regular car mm-hmm. versus a regular driver in a pro car and put them head okay. to head. Yeah, I watched a golf thing, too. Yeah. Guy, pro pro golfer beats amateur golfer with only a seven iron. Yeah. That right. type of. Yeah. I've been watching them a lot in like filming or photography. You would say like pro photographer with an iPhone versus an amateur photographer with a, you know, like a high end camera. Yeah. And then they, you compare the photos and whatnot. And I was curious if the same thing, if we did the same thing with 3D printing, what would it look like? And would we see Mm. a similar dynamic? Because in most of these cases, the skill wins out over hardware or technology. Ooh. But I don't know what 3D printing. Yeah. That, well, yeah, because you're, ooh, that's so tough. Uh, because you're talking about with 3D printing, the hardware does so much to cover up what we do poorly. Yeah. Uh, it automates so many of those processes. I think where you would see the losses, that the, the human side or the professional side versus the amateur side is in the full picture, the processing, the pre-processing, you know, through slicers, like how they even get their CAD files, their print files, whatever, how they come up with it to how they take this off the printer and actually produce a finished part. Because typically the job's not done once it comes right off the bed, the print bed. So imagine a scenario where you have you or I and you put us on like a lull spot or something. Mm-hmm. And then you take someone who has been printing on that lull spot and put them on a Stratasys machine. And you have some scenario, right? It's a bracket or it's a part. And let's, let's say it's a whole comprehensive does it include the design or should it not include the design? Probably not for purposes of this scenario. Well, no, it should. Should because, it? Yeah, because design for additive. All right. All right. You might have. That's pr- probably going to tip the scale then, I think. Because the design, very skill-based. I feel like it all has to do with the overall flow of how 3D printing works. Yeah. Um, because even if, if someone gives mm-hmm. me a traditional model that's to be manufactured in a traditional way, like injection molding. Um, and they say, I need the, I need 50 of these printed or whatever. Uh, I'm going to probably ask them, Hey, can I make some modifications to this design just for these 50 prototypes? Yeah. Um, or if it's, 
hey, I need these to actually function in the real world, I'm even more motivated to ask them if I can make some changes. I think if we include the design in this scenario, skill wins. But if you don't include the design, let's just say you have a design, we need to successfully print it. I think the hardware wins. Skill matters less, so which doesn't happen all that often. No. Uh, yeah. I mean, even in racing, right? Like a, a fast car doesn't always win the race. True. The fastest car often doesn't win the race. That's in qualifying, the pole position goes to the fastest yeah. car. You're driving on a track with no other cars, essentially, and how often do they win? Yeah. I could imagine a scenario where you put you or I on a machine like we were talking about. We might not even get a print off because we don't, <laughs> we, we don't even know how to use those printers very well. Right? Right. <laughs> it would be bad. There's a learning curve. With there every, is, there with is a total printer. learning curve. And it's like a specialized learning curve. So we could start printing and like maybe the print doesn't stick to the bed, for example. Mm-hmm. So oh, if there yeah. was a time limit. You need a certain hairspray. Yeah. Brand X. Oh, God. That you can only get at store. <laughs> can you imagine someone coming into our office with a, with a can of hairspray and like spraying our oh, bed thinking that they have to use it? <laughs> I, you laugh, that would be funny. You laugh. I'm sure people are listening like, dude, that's what I do. Oh, I know. That's you what have I do. To. I have to. You have to. I get it. All right. Let's go to the topic of the day. So Wait. Wait, <laughs> you're not you're we're not, not done? done with that. Okay, no. What was the point of that? I mean, you're saying hardware wins. That's the that's the main gist of of what you were. I think were going in 3D for. printing, hardware wins. Yeah. Does software? I mean, software and hardware are a package. Okay, that's what I was trying to clarify. Yeah. Okay. Well, and the beautiful thing is that can be purchased. Literally just what I was thinking about. Okay. In my head. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. That's interesting. We, you know, we welcome yeah. any feedback on this thought process because... I would be curious. I would I, be curious. It wouldn't make a great YouTube video because on a YouTube video, you're hoping that skill wins out. I think. You always hope that. I yeah. think. Just human nature. Yeah. You want the person who's the best at something to be the person who wins. Mm -hmm. Well, you still have, we all root for the underdog too. Yeah, right. The underdog is usually the person who has, he put in the time, he or she put in the time to develop a skill, but maybe doesn't have the resources to obtain the higher end stuff, right? Gotcha. Like, you are rooting for the underdog if you're rooting for the driver mm -hmm. who is passionate about driving but has never had the opportunity to sit in an F1 car. You're, you're rooting for that person, I think. Yeah. But, well, now I just talked myself into a you circle. Don't, I yeah, you don't, want, you don't want the fastest car to win. That's true. You want the fastest, you want the best driver to win. That's true. So, from... Who am I going to root for? I'm not going to root for the best machine. I'm going to root for the best driver. Yeah. Uh, the best printer, the best operator. You're right. Which is why, in this case, the printer 
It'd be a little bit disappointing, I think. The printer's going to win. The printer's going to win. I get, yeah, I guess. It would be an interesting, it would be interesting still, I think, because you, it's kind of a conundrum. Yeah. Maybe we could. At least that's the way I see it now. Yeah. I bet we could find somebody with a machine to, to test this out. Maybe. What type of machine? I don't know. <sighs> we can, yeah, we can set something up maybe. Are you done with this topic now? Yeah. Now that I, I feel like we've come to a nice... Yeah, I just it wanted seg- to know where It segues were... into the discussion, I think. Well, let's get into it. Let's get topic into of the it. day. Topic of the day. Selecting a 3D printing technology. Not so much a printer. Because the printer, I think, comes later in the discussion. Mm-hmm. But choosing a technology. So to preface, like... Many people, when they hear 3D printing, they think of what? What technology? FDM. Yeah, FDM or FFF, just yep. depends. Any any filament-based technology, because that's what has been marketed to consumers. That's what the average everyday person has been exposed to and also has access to. But there are dozens of technologies out there, some for plastics, some for metals, some for ceramics, some for other materials. And even within, say, just polymers, there's a dozen different ways to additively manufacture in polymers. So when someone decides, I want to get into 3D printing, they have to narrow down the scope of what technology they're really interested in. So I thought, and you thought too, it'd be interesting to have a bit of discussion around what does that conversation look like? What should it look like? Right? So I think of it as a, like a decision tree. You start at the top, right? 3D printing. And then you have a series of maybe yes, no questions or either or questions. Yeah. I think that first level looks like, are you getting into 3D printing for fun or for business? Because I think that is the number one influencer in your decision. What do you think? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I hadn't, it's pretty simple when you put it that way. Um, because if you're, yeah, if you're looking at business, you're looking at losses. How do I eliminate loss? Sure. And, Certain technologies just don't lend themselves well. Uh, not just technologies, but printers in certain categories. Yeah. So you really limit yourself. If you're a business and you say, well, I can buy. Well, we can get into this later, I'm sure. That but, that question really influences a lot of subsequent decisions. Yeah. Uh, one way you could boil it down is what's the impact of a failed print? Like yeah. if you're doing it for fun, the impact of a failed print is minor. Right. It's, it's an inconvenience. And in many ways, it's it's a learning experience, <laughs> right? It's an opportunity to enjoy 3D printing or explore 3D printing. This is a way to develop resentment for 3D printing. <laughs> true, true. But it, <laughs> I just keep thinking. It's the, it's the wrong mindset, I think. Well, I probably. <laughs> I I have a, a a friend that was a roommate of mine in the past, and he was printing 
I won't say what, but it was a joke, mm-hmm. uh, this particular model. And it happened to be a pretty tall part uh, in in Z. And so, oh, yeah? How tall? <laughs> way too tall. We took this thing <laughs> to the max, okay? And okay. Um, so we had, I won't name the printer brand, but it is a, a reputable hobby level printer. It's a good printer. Yeah. Uh, but in this particular case, with this particular model, it serves him right for for this model, and um, he <laughs> he went to sleep after this printed like two or three layers. Okay, and that's what you do, you know. When once you see that 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 your first layers stick to the bed, as a hobby level printer uh, or having experienced those printers in the past. Those are the those are the layers you worry about. Yeah, of course. You're not going to sit there and watch it the whole time. But I don't think I'd ever printed a part this tall in Z before. Yeah. Even though the build parameters or the volume of the printer, the build envelope was up this high in Z, it, we didn't know that it didn't print very well up there. <laughs> yeah. That's the stratosphere up there to <laughs> that printer. and You can't give us a sense for how tall this is? Is it like... <laughs> Six inches, eight <laughs> inches, 12 inches. It's probably like 10 inches. 10 tall. inches, okay. Uh, anyway, so this part, I'm blushing now. Yeah, you're um, so red. <laughs> this part. I have no idea what this part is. Yeah, well, it's. I'm picturing the Eiffel Tower, maybe Stonehenge, Easter Island. Well, you do, do you, just, you just keep visualizing that then. Anyway, this part was a joke, so. Easter Island is not a joke. Um, Depends on what culture. Okay. All right. Well, (laughs) this particular part failed and miserably. It made it. It made it like to nine inches. Uh Uh-huh. And just the very tip of this part didn't print. Wow. Okay. You would have thought maybe nine inches would have been enough. (laughs) (laughs) We get to the... the, This thing printed this goblet that's just this absolute, uh, like bird's nest just a spaghetti right on top of this part and this part just what ended up happening is it enveloped the print head in thermoplastic it ruined the print head oh wow it ruined the print head so this wasn't <laughs> your standard part yeah um because or your standard failure i should yeah, say yeah. because when you fail typically like you said what do you lose you lose some time if you're not in business to create these things, then it doesn't really matter. You're like, oh, whatever. It's a failed print. I'll print another one. You don't have something necessarily lined up right after it that needs to be printed. But in this case, even at a hobby level, you're like, dang, now I have to buy a new print head. Yeah, you're frustrated. And that's it, a $50 part. It's hard know? to ignore that. But in many cases, the people who are using these printers kind of enjoy tinkering with the printers themselves and in some ways i think they enjoy the process of 3d printing as much if not more than the actual 3d prints so you have 3d printing versus 3d prints and which one did are they more interested in Mm -hmm. yeah i agree with that and it's actually we've experienced it's a tough thing to take away from people is that it's kind of an illusion of control, isn't it? You kind of become like uh, 
you know, it's like people who jailbreak their iPhones. Yeah. To get these widgets and to get these, uh, these tweaks on their phone that make their phone operate at what they think is a higher level, which maybe it does. Maybe it really does add some functionality and it's cool. Um, but then you're susceptible to bugs now and malware and it comes at a cost. So it's kind of an illusion of control in a way. Uh, sometimes you're willing to take the benefits outlay the wa- the losses. And in this particular instance with printers, uh, if it's not for business, it doesn't matter as much. You know? Yeah. But I at think. some point there's a crossroads, even as a hobbyist, I think, um, where the losses aren't worth it anymore. You don't want that spaghetti bowl. For sure. When you finish printing. Especially if you're using a printer that is going to be on the slower side and you are 24, 30, 40 hours into a print and you've been babying it Mm -hmm. and you've been asking your roommates not to open the door or the window and your print is going good and you're starting to feel the stress and then it fails. That probably hits pretty hard. Well, yeah. That's like... (laughs) You just described the worst thing in 3D printing. Like that's... Yeah. But it's just... It's, it's what everyone hates. It's a feeling. Whereas with business, the impact could be you miss a deadline. Mm-hmm. You lose a customer, right? You don't put your best foot forward or your proposal is incomplete. Those are more heavy, impactful results than just personal devastation. <laughs> Well, that's the idea is once you like you're differentiating this into two paths, the hobbyist versus the business. Yeah. And on the business side, you don't want emotion. That's the idea, right? I mean, right. You don't want emotion to be driving your business. Right. You want hard numbers and results. So I think that's an important first question. And if you're choosing the fun side, then the rest of this discussion, I think, will still be applicable. It will just be in a, in a somewhat different context. And you, you have a lot more leeway, meaning whatever decision you make, it's going to be subjective, more subjective. Whereas if it's for business, you're really trying to hone in on what the right answer is, if there is one, and it's, it's less subjective, I would say. One of the questions, um, kind of along those lines of fun versus business, is realistically asking yourself, do you have time or do you have interest in refining the print process? Are you interested in developing like the, the process of printing? Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, we get asked all the time, what temperature is your hot end? Yeah. And what do you say? We don't worry about it. (laughs) We don't worry about it. Uh, I don't even know in most cases. Like I could find the answer, but I don't know because I don't need to know, which is nice. Taking care of me. And that gets into the loss of control. Yeah. That's when a hobbyist is like, well, 
What do you mean you don't know? Sure. And they just, that's where it like all goes haywire for them. And well, yeah, I won't get too into it. I, at this point though, I always am like, these guys are the guys that have the toughest time with the switch over. Sometimes. Yeah. Uh, if they're so interested in the process that they forget what they're really printing for, and that can be a hard transition. It's it's a funny situation. You you said loss of control a couple times, and it, it's making me think that we we are presented a set of options or a level of control with every product that we buy, mm-hmm. right? Uh, this microphone that we're using. It has some buttons. It has some knobs. We have some level of control, but there is so much going on in that microphone that we have zero visibility of. We have zero knowledge of, and we have obviously no control of, and it doesn't matter to us, right? Because we just don't know enough about that, the, the audio pickup. What right? matters is that it produces sound that we can use. Exactly. Now, unless you're an audio engineer and you're in the business of like producing microphones or if that's your passion, maybe you want more control, right? But for us, like a simple volume, a gain, very few options means we get the utility out of it with little hassle. Without messing it up. (laughs) Excellent point. (laughs) Excellent point. Uh, and that, I mean, that goes for every product that we have, right? And it's, and it's an interesting dynamic because you have companies who, for one reason or another, but possibly in many cases, because they just don't have the time or the resources to develop those processes for you, they put it out to the user. I mean, you see this in Kickstarter projects and all sorts of stuff like, hey, this is open source. You can do whatever you want. And it's sort of offloading the burden of making something work to the user. And some users are attracted to that. Some users think they're attracted to it as well until they get it in their hands and they think, oh, I can't get this to work. I just want it to work. That's where the frustration, I think, settles in when people's expectations don't match what they were sold. Yeah. So what about for business? Uh, okay, so if we if we decide, okay, we're going to get into 3D printing for business purposes, that sets the tone for the rest of the conversation. Me personally, at that point, my first question is, do you have a use case in mind? Have you identified a use case? Which is important. Why? It's important because the use case tells you what you need. You draw information out of the use case. So... Let's say the use case is I need to print parts to help with microfluidic research. Okay, that application is going to define what you need out of the print. You might need extreme resolution. You don't need large parts. You need small parts. You probably need clear materials. You don't work backwards from, I need clear material, I need small parts, because you don't know. You identify a use case first, and then everything follows from that, including an ROI. An ROI calculation requires a use case. 
and perhaps it requires many use cases. You won't know that until you start to run the ROI for your main use case. That's why I think it's an appropriate first question. Second. You second that? No, no. What's the second question? <laughs> that No, that was the second, right? The first was oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. for business. The second question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For business second or level. pleasure. <laughs> business or pleasure. <laughs> so what's your use case? And then if, if they've identified a use case, great. If they haven't, then, then you have to wonder, okay, well, what are you getting into 3D printing for? Some people don't. They just want, they love technology. Mm-hmm. It's going to be hard for them to justify a purchase, I would say, without a use case. So then we might help them find a use case. Hopefully they have already identified at least a potential use case. Yeah. Or a a few little ones. Yeah. Those can be tougher. For sure. A few little ones and maybe even a few little ones for a few different groups. Those people are trying hard to figure out how to make it work. You know they're interested. If they're going to, say, the marketing team or the engineering team or the R&D team, whatever, and they're just trying to pool resources, you can tell that person really wants printing. Mm -hmm. But perhaps their use case alone isn't going to justify. Someone like that's already done some research. They probably know what the machines cost, et cetera. Yeah, that's, it's a, (laughs) it's a slippery slope with with those folks too because they do kind of know a price point mm-hmm. um but they're pulling from so many different directions that they have a lot of applications yeah which that makes it difficult because they usually have a low price point in mind with a lot of differing applications so a design which makes it hard yeah design team's going to want something different than the engineering team because remember the goal of identifying a use case is it's going to give clarity to the question of what printer or what technology do I need? Yep. The more use cases you're trying to fit into there, the less clear it becomes this technology versus this technology versus this technology. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about some of the, mm, some of the questions that, become more clear if you have a well-defined use case. So you're basically asking for this use case, what are the critical requirements? Material is probably one. So if you have a use case in mind, right away, you're going to have an idea of what's being done currently. Is there room for any change? But what's being done currently? Is it being done in plastics? Is it being done in metals? The size, is it small, you know, say quarter size? Is it medium, the size of a fist into, say, a, what's, what, a sports ball? A sports, a sports ball. ball. <laughs> like, a mini, like a mini football or something. Okay. I don't know. Sports. Sports. I couldn't, <laughs> I actually could not come up with the appropriately sized ball baseball bigger than a baseball oh a softball bigger than a softball but smaller than a volleyball Hmm. that's a void dodgeball ah maybe yeah yeah okay dodgeball medium size or larger or larger than that up into the you got hit with enough dodgeballs as a kid you should know 
You think so? <laughs> you think so? Well, I'm sure you had a dodgeball nemesis. Don't be mad. <laughs> I don't know. I was actually probably really good at dodgeball, just knowing me and knowing what I'm capable of. I actually don't remember ever getting hit by a dodgeball. <laughs> this tells our listeners all they need to know. <laughs> yeah, I'm athletic and nimble <laughs> and mobile. And hey, I'm going to test your knowledge real quick. Okay. Because speaking of how good you are at things, <laughs> I pulled up this image. Yeah. What, what are these called? That's called a Venn diagram. There we go. It's been <laughs> since elementary since I actually like had to know what that was called. Yeah. Venn diagram. So, sorry, the, this is applicable because okay. the reason I'm thinking of a Venn diagram is because you have overlap with these technologies, right? Imagine a three-circled Venn diagram, right? You yeah. have that center, central area that has all three uh, yeah. in one space. Yeah. And then you've obviously got three spaces where just two of those are, but one is ex excluded. So if you look at a Venn diagram chart, there's a sweet spot in the middle. Um, unfortunately, that doesn't really exist in 3D printing. And that's kind of what we're getting at is like it's more you pick your poison. And unfortunately, there will be some exclusions with one or the other. And so, um, sorry, I, I, I just kept thinking that as we were going into this. And um, the more applications you have, the bigger your Venn yeah, diagram. That's true. And I think it's a great construct to... Uh, apply to this thought process because it does kind of give the sense that there's no one single right answer, which is probably realistic. There's no one single right answer. There are just answers that are more complete, I would say. Yeah. Okay. So size, um, a use case is going to help you determine a size resolution. You know, what's the smallest feature that you might be interested in? Accuracy, how well-placed is that feature? So resolution and accuracy, two different things. Reliability, huge concern. And uh, use cases are going to dictate reliability. Also, whether, going back to materials, are you going to need certifiable materials, right? Are they certi certifiable for contact with human skin, for example? or certifiable for flight. That is going to help you hone in on a technology. And then lastly, what are the pre-processing and post-processing? What's the baggage that comes with pre-processing and post-processing? What's your appetite for that? Um, something like that might be surface finish requirements. Can I get there with just 3D printing alone or am I going to have to select a technology that can be further post-processed to hit a certain surface finish? Can you think of anything else? That was pretty comprehensive. Yeah, I think that covers the, the main gist of things. I think uh, ease of use is probably one yeah. that falls in, into one of those subcategories. Ease of use basically translates to a business owner as production. 
if it's easier to use, they get higher, better yields. So whether that's more efficient. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So more people are prone to use it too. I mean, how many businesses in the past have bought this newfangled idea um, or this machine that's supposed to make life better? Yeah. And it ends up being a huge paperweight. Right. You know, nobody wants to do that with a 3D printer. And and that can happen because you you didn't go through this process at all and you just purchased <laughs> yeah. a machine, right? Yeah. Or you went through this process being advised by someone who was feeding you bad information. Yeah. Either innocently or nefariously. Could happen either way. Or perhaps you honed in on the right technology, but you missed a step in that conversation, right? Maybe you missed the step of who's going to run it and do they have the skills to do so, which goes into ease of use, right? So there are technologies that are very difficult to use effectively, very difficult to use at all. That's important to understand because if it turns out that that is the correct technology for you and you don't have the ability to hire somebody or you don't have somebody on staff already, then that's not the right technology for you. Or it's just not the right time for that technology. Whereas if you come across a technology that is easy to use, it's going to be less difficult to find someone to take advantage of it. But that's totally key. Just buying a printer is never going to be the right answer for any organization without some thought into who's flying the ship. Right. It's definitely one thing to consider. The idea behind additive is that it doesn't take a specifically skilled individual, but uh, yeah, you should still definitely know right. who's who's going to be in charge of my printer. Having a use case helps you with an ROI. Having an ROI helps you come up with a budget. I think it's important to know that with these machines for business cases, typically that budget is going to be 10,000 plus. So your ROI is going to put you in a different category, which is an important area to hit at a, not, it doesn't have to be the first question and it shouldn't be the second or the third question, but fairly early on, you should identify a budget because with printers, you're going to have anywhere from $100 to $3 million and everything in between. There's a lot of room there. So what's your budget? That's going to help streamline your search. I think it's important to realize, just like other manufacturing equipment, many machines are leased. Leased to own, and it becomes an operational cost rather than a capital equipment cost. It's important to consider 3D printers the same way you would any other manufacturing tool. Absolutely. What about obsolescence? Being a factor in... Where does that come into play in this conversation? How long can my printer be around? It's something that people ask, right? Do you, do you think it's an important question? Is it a valid question? What's, what's your thoughts around incorporating basically fear of obsolescence into your decision? Uh, it's, a, it's a factor for sure. And kind of basing it off the last topic we just went over, if a lot of these machines are leased... Mm-hmm. Uh, that can have some effect too. If you're leasing your equipment, just like if you lease a car or something, you're not 
you're not as concerned about that. Yeah. Because you're getting the new car. Right. Uh, every year or whatever. So with if you buy your machine outright, for sure, uh, it's important. If you want this thing to last ten years, fifteen years, then you know, look at look at the track record of where it came from. And technology is just advancing so fast. I think it's worth noting. You know how how stable is this technology? And because we're talking technologies, not printers here, we're talking. Yeah. Which ones have been around the longest or which ones do we think will be around the longest and why? If there's one thing for certain, that is all technology becomes obsolete. Everything from the laptop that I'm using to the phone to the microphone. It becomes obsolete in the sense that something else is going to come out that makes it feel obsolete. It makes it feel old, mm-hmm. especially for something like a microphone. The microphone will continue to record sound for quite a while. Yeah. Something like a laptop, because I use the laptop to run software, the laptop might actually become obsolete because the software advances too quickly. But I think printers are more like the microphone, especially if you are purchasing a printer to handle a use case. The use case sort of shields you from obsolescence. You're buying it for this purpose. It handles this purpose. It will continue to handle that purpose for quite a long time. I don't like to see people get into a stage of hesitation because they're worried about what's print, what printer is going to come out a year from now. What printer is going to come out two or three or four years from now. It really shouldn't matter because we're talking about what can the printer do for you today. What I do think people should be concerned about is obsolescence of the manufacturer, yeah, the OEM. Are they going to be around two or three years from now? Because these are pieces of hardware. They have lifespans. They have maintenance. They have components that wear out. Those will need to be replaced. They will need to be serviced. Is the manufacturer of that machine going to be able to stand by that machine 10 years from now? That, I do think, is an important question. Yeah. And more so in in the business realm, right? For sure. Because the open source stuff, they're just built out of a lot of off-the-shelf things. If it's for fun, obsolescence probably is an excuse to buy a new toy. (laughs) Right? Yeah. It probably works to your advantage. You have to be like, honey, my hot end went out and they don't make the old ones. I'm going to have to upgrade. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. (laughs) But you tell your boss, hey, they don't make this hot end anymore. We're going to have to upgrade. Who's the idiot who bought this printer? Exactly. Yeah. That's, That's impact of not failed print, but impact of failed system. Bad news. I've been there before. So do you think this helps sculpt the conversation? Do you think this gives enough people to get the uh, the gears churning in their heads? Well, we probably made a lot of people mad. How? <laughs> because we... Uh, I really hope we're not alienating hobby level... No. Uh, users. I don't want to do that. 
Yeah, because, and I, I don't think that's the route we're going. I just, we've all been there. Yeah. We've all been there. And, or we all are there right now. Some of us, um, for all I know, most of us are there. But it's it's an important step in the process. Yeah. And I don't want to make it sound like it's just a step. It could be the end result for a lot of people. It, and It should be the end result for a lot of people. Like It's just a matter. Are you printing for fun? You should not spend tens of thousands of dollars on a printer because in most cases, people don't have that kind of disposable income, right? It should be a comfortable purchase that if it died two weeks into your ownership, you're not going to be sweating bullets. Like it's going to hurt, but you're not going to be sweating bullets. And I think everybody listening should have a printer at home. Like we don't because we have these. But if we didn't have the printers here, I would have a printer at home. So would I. And I bet that I would spend two to four thousand on a printer. Because I would want I would, something nice. I would almost go to five K. Yeah. There's I I, I it's funny because I've yeah. thought about this, you know, and same with CNC machines. There's a number in my head that I'm like, man, this is this is worth it. Right. This gives me more return on my investment than a new car. You know? Sure. This this is a way for me to have fun, get the things I want, you know, and maybe help some other people out along the way. It would probably end up being my second most expensive tool in my shop. Only because I have the mill. If I didn't have the mill, I think it would become my most expensive tool because it is the most versatile tool. It's going to get used more. Yeah. More than likely, it's going to get used more than Because it's just so easy to use. Yeah. So easy to use. Yeah. 100% way easy to use. And you having a mill at your house, it's expensive. And Mm -hmm. it's not, we're not just talking like it's, it's the machine itself was expensive. Just the expense of like building a one-off part. Yeah. It's Space expensive too. <laughs> yeah, I think about that every time I I'm in my garage. Yeah, you've got to have the square footage. Yeah, but like even if 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 you were passionate about motorcycles, say you wanted to build like a brake rotor adapter. Yeah, or uh, maybe even like a wheel hub or something, some custom piece for a motorcycle that you're passionate about motorcycles, right? You having machining experience. Um, how excited are you to go out there to the mill, throw in a big old hunk of stock and start chunking away at that thing? Because you know the work it takes to get to the point where you're even chucking material up. If it's my first iteration, I'm not that excited because I know that there's a good chance it's going to be wasted time. And you get no return on it. I, you can't recycle that time because you're only building one of them. It's just, it's not the most efficient way to fail. Yeah. I want to fail with the printed part. If I right. now if I printed 10 parts and I've refined it, I'm excited to go to the mill and and cut it out because I'm confident it's going to work and I'll invest the time into the cam and I'll make sure I have the tooling and I'll go through my setups and blah 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 blah. And because I suck at machining, I am going to fail a couple times, but I'd rather fail because like it's my own fault rather mm-hmm. than I finally get a good part. And I put it up to the bike and it doesn't fit. I want that to be a 
a plastic printed part for sure. Well, I mean, even take that aspect out of it. Know that you're going to come out with a part that fits. Okay. All right. Say you've already printed it here at work. So we're in, we're deep into the fantasy land now. (laughs) You've already gone to the place where you, you know that this is going to fit. You've done your fit checks. Dimensionally, it's going to work. You just have to produce it. Yeah. At your call outs. Yeah. And how excited are you to do that? Dude, especially this time of year in my cold garage, I would much rather have <laughs> it printing overnight yeah. while I'm sleeping. Right. And so that's where I just had a discussion with a friend of mine, a machinist. He's a full-time machinist. This, oh gosh, was it this weekend, this last weekend? And we talked about printing 20 parts. And he's like, man, that's that's a the sweet spot, really. Like you you get some scrap out of it, but you pretty much have your processes dialed in at that point. Yeah. It's the same to do twenty as it is to do a thousand or whatever. Like you you're doing a, a full production style run. Um we we've been doing this particular part for I don't know, three years. And we've got a customer, this is outside of of uh, the, my normal scope of work, uh, we've got a customer that's in California that just needs these every once in a while. Yeah. So we produce them when he wants them, we make them and it's a pain in the butt because mm-hmm. every time, like I've helped him machine them. I used to machine these on a Tormach. Then I was like, you know, I'm tired of doing these on my own. And this is like a production ish part. This is yeah. a part that I know works. Uh, the customer likes it. I've produced it on a Tormach one at a time. Um, we came up with a way to hold two at a time. And then finally, he's just like, I'm just going to let my buddy do these. I'm going to pay him. I'll take a tiny cut mm-hmm. just because it was my idea. But I'm going to let him make all the money on it. And that's how much I don't like. Like when I first learned how to CNC machine, I was very excited about it. I wanted to make everything, even though if I could buy an off-the-shelf part <laughs> for a fraction of the cost. Right. But that wore off quickly. And 3D printing just never gets that way right. for me. I'm never thinking like, I got to do this. Like, I, I I, can do this. I've got to do it. Let's, let's get it done. It's like, seriously, it's so easy in comparison that it really does. Like, if you can get end-use parts off the printer... You don't even want to move to the CNC route. And it's not that the parts aren't better off the CNC because they are. Obviously, they're metal. Um, they hold a tighter tolerance. They're shiny, you know. Yeah. Uh, but, man, additive is the way to go if you can. And more and more, you can. So I think that's a good time to wrap it up. Uh, hopefully, that is an hour well spent trying to determine what are the questions and what's your course of thinking? If you're considering 3D printing, how do you hone in on a technology? It's going to be a series of questions that you end up with a a bunch of data. One of our future discussions will be using that data to match you, I think, with technology. That's somewhere where, that's a situation where you're gonna need an advisor of some sort, maybe multiple advisors interpreting that data for you and helping you understand what's important and what are good matches. Think so? 
Yeah, hundred percent. And so just to kind of like put a bow on it, you'd say if you were trying to just quickly wrap that conversation up from start to finish in one sentence, how would you put that? Am I allowed to use commas? <laughs> <laughs> it can be a run on yeah. sentence. All right. So you want to get into 3D printing. Is it for business or pleasure? Either way, find a use case. So it's application-based. It's highly application-based. Would you say that's kind of like, pick your application. That's the overall message here. Pick your application and everything flows from that. Pick your core application. Yeah. And everything flows from that. The good thing is in the 3D printing world, They're versatile machines, and there's a variety of them, so we can hit a lot of applications. So be greedy. Pick your application, identify what you need and what you want, and find a solution that fits all of those in the best way possible. You probably will. Agreed. Cool. Let's wrap it up. All right. Take care.